Matthew chapter 1. We take a slight break today in the next couple weeks from our top ten, the Ten Commandments. And today I want you to look at a few verses with me in Matthew chapter 1. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we now place ourselves underneath and in submission to Your Word. This is the Word of God. This is the Word from heaven. This is the Word preserved by the Holy Spirit throughout all of the ages, written by common men, but superintended by Your Holy Spirit, so that the very words that we read are the words of God. And we thank You for the instruction that we get week by week in them and how they tell us of not only what has happened, but in detail what's going to happen to our world. And so we thank You for the opportunity to share together this time. In Jesus' name, Amen. Somebody uh, emailed me an interesting little observation. This is according to the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. While both male and female reindeer grow antlers in the summer each year, male reindeer drop their antlers at the beginning of winter usually late November to mid-December. Female reindeer retain their antlers until after they give birth in the spring. Therefore, according to every historical rendition depicting Santa's reindeer, every single one of them, from Rudolph to Blitzen, had to be female. We should have known only women while pregnant would be able to drag a fat man in a red velvet suit all around the world in one night and not get lost. <laughs> well, that's just another contrast of what Christmas really is against what Christmas really has become. It's not about an obese man in a red suit. It's about the God-man in a manger who came to this earth. Now, there's been a debate raging in our own country, oddly enough, about the use of the term Merry Christmas. And in public assemblies, especially public schools, Christmas is being banned. Happy Holidays is now allowed, or Winter Break, or Winter Fest. But the idea of Christmas is being taken out. Um, I want to begin then by saying to you a wholehearted, emphatic, and unapologetic Merry Christmas, Christ. What's even more odd than that debate is what George Barna found in a recent poll when he polled an audience, a group of people around the country, 88% of whom claimed to be Christians, yet less than half, 37% of the people who claimed to be Christians, said that the central issue in Christmas is the birth of Christ. The largest percentage, 44%, cited that the most important aspect of Christmas is family time. Now, I agree, it is wonderful at Christmas to have friends and family gathered together to tell them the true meaning of Christmas, which is Jesus Christ. But to be honest with you, for probably more people than not around this country, Christmas is like having a birthday party without inviting the one whose birthday it is, which is Jesus. Well, we come to Matthew 1. It's the opening of the New Testament. And the New Testament opens up with a genealogy 
a genealogical record of only one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then a description of his birth. Beginning in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So once again, we're reminded that Christmas isn't about a fat man in a red suit or family time or having a good meal or giving gifts. It truly is about Jesus Christ. Why? Why is Christmas all about Jesus Christ? Why take one day of the year and attach the name of Christ to it? What gives this person the right to divide time, so to speak? That we would change the calendar from B.C. before Christ and A.D. Anno Domini in the year of our Lord. Well, there's a lot of things that could be said about Jesus, but I think one word sums it up nicely. Unique. Jesus is, was, unique. One of a kind. Singular. Unmatched. Unrivaled. Imitable. Absolutely unique. And we notice something in our text. I'm going to give you three areas that make him unique. First of all, he was unique because of his birth. That's pretty obvious in reading this story. He had a unique birth. First off, his mother was a virgin. That makes him pretty unique. Verse 18 tells us, The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, before they consummated the marriage and had a physical union, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm sure there's lots of wonderful things you could say about your mother and I could say about my mother, but we could not say that at the time of our birth they were virgins. Mary was a virgin and she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Interesting interview some years ago with Larry King. Larry King was not in this interview the one interviewing. He was the one being interviewed. And they said, Larry, if you could reach into history and select one person to interview, who would that person be and what would you ask? He said, unquestionably, I want to interview Jesus Christ and I would ask Him one question. Were you indeed virgin born? Larry King said, the answer to that question would explain history for me. Well, when Mary found out she was pregnant, she was astonished. 
Joseph was unglued. He wanted to divorce her, it says. Put her away secretly until the angel came and stopped him. Now, how could this happen? He wanted to know that. She wanted to know that. In Luke's rendition of this, Luke chapter 1, she said, how can these things be? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And then when the angel explains to Joseph in verse 19, Joseph, her husband, being a just or righteous man and not wanting to make her a public example, that's because you know what that meant in Israel, you stoned that woman to death, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Understand what that means. Conceived by the Holy Spirit of God was a child then without a sin nature, completely sinless. He was the perfect one to redeem. Being a man, he could taste death for every man. But being God, he was perfectly sinless, so he was the perfect sacrifice. So Jesus came as God incarnate into this world. Think about it. Jesus Christ was the only person who existed prior to birth. That makes him unique. That makes this birth unique. You and I existed the moment a zygote was formed. That primitive cell, sperm and egg uniting before it then developed into an embryo and a fetus and now you. That's when existence began for you, but not for Jesus. He pre-existed even before birth. John puts it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The God-man. Not a good man, as some say. Yes, Jesus was a good man. No, He was the God-man. So, because of this unique birth born of a virgin, we would say Merry Christmas. Christmas. But not only that, in his birth, his birth was predicted. Verse 22 hints at that. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. That's the prophet Isaiah, and his quote is in the next verse. The birth of Jesus Christ was predicted by prophets. My birth was not. Nobody stood and said, like Uncle Fred, thus saith Uncle Fred, a child named Skip will be born. Nobody would have cared, first of all, but that never happened. Now, interesting, some tried to do that with the birth of my son 19 years ago. We had people in the church who would come up, and they were meaning well, but they would say, the Lord spoke to me. You're going to have a baby girl. Others would come up and say, the Lord spoke to me. You're going to have a baby boy. Well, you have a 50-50 chance of being right or wrong. And half were right and said, yes, I knew it. I could tell the Lord spoke to me. And the others, they didn't really want to talk about it afterwards. But hundreds of times on several occasions for hundreds and hundreds of years, prophets made predictions of this one, Jesus Christ, 
from where he would be born, what tribe he would come from, what lineage he would have, where he would be born, how he would be betrayed, the kind of death he would die. And all in all, there were some 300, most say 330 predictions in advance of who this person would be and what he would do. It is so amazing that several years ago, Professor Emeritus of Westmont College, Peter Stoner, wrote a little book. I still have it. It's a paperback called Science Speaks. He was a mathematician. He decided, I'm going to calculate the odds of one man in history fulfilling those amazing predictions, 330. He began with eight predictions. And he posed the question, what would the odds of one man fulfilling eight of the predictions Jesus fulfilled, what would be those odds? He came up with one in ten to the seventeenth power. That's one in a hundred quadrillion. That's ten with sixteen zeros after. So then he painted the picture so we would understand it. He said, that's such a large number that you could fill the entire state of Texas, America's largest state, two feet thick filled with silver dollars. If you were to pre-mark one of those silver dollars, blindfold a person, let him wander from borderline to borderline, for him to pick that one silver dollar you have marked in advance would be one in ten to the seventeenth power. He had so much fun with that, he extended his little experiment to sixteen prophecies. He then said the, one of, the odds of one man in history fulfilling sixteen of the three hundred Jesus fulfilled would be 1 in 10 to the 45th power. And he used silver dollars again in his visual illustration. He said, this represents so many silver dollars that you can you could construct a sphere, a ball of solid silver. He said, if you put the earth at the center of that ball and went to the sun, you would have to go from the center to the sun 30 times to get to the edge of that ball. So put the earth in the center of your silver ball of silver dollars and go 93 million miles times 30. That's the circumference of it. Mark a silver dollar in advance. Send somebody through that ball blindfolded. The odds of that person fulfilling the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, 16 of them would be 1 in 10 to the 45th power or roughly that number. He then had so much fun with that, he decided to say, what would it take for Jesus to fulfill 48 of those predictions? And he came up with the astronomical number, too hard to visualize, 1 in 10 to the 157th power. He then took his experiment from silver dollars to electrons. And I won't bore you with all the specifics, but it's a great little read called Science Speaks. Point being, Jesus was unique in his birth, born of a virgin, and fulfilling not 8, not 16, not 48, but 330 direct predictions and inferences. Which would make us say then, Merry Christmas, not just Happy Winterfest. Also, the birth of Jesus was unique because of the unusual events that surrounded his birth. We've seen a couple already. The angel showed up and spoke to Mary and spoke to Joseph. They appeared on the landscape of Bethlehem. They announced his birth. There was astronomical phenomenon that brought a priestly cast of Medes all the way from Iraq to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem following a star. Amazing. 
Just for fun, I went on the internet to find what unusual events happened the day of my birth. Not really much happened the day of my birth. The only significant news wasn't some star or astronomical sign, but President Eisenhower signed a bill that day to raise the minimum wage in our country from, get this, 75 cents an hour to a dollar an hour. Oh, the other thing that happened that was significant is the Brooklyn Dodgers beat the New York Yankees in the World Series. That shows you how long ago that was, but nothing great happened. But when Jesus was born, all of these phenomena occurred. No angel sang at my birth. My relatives were happy, but that's about it. So Jesus Christ was unique because of this unique birth. Also because of His unique person. Not only unique birth, but unique person. Look at verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. This is Isaiah's prophecy. And bear a son. And they shall call His name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now that name, Emmanuel, God with us, is not a proper name. It's not a title. It's a characterization. It was given by Isaiah the prophet 600 years before Jesus was born. It speaks of who He would be and what He would do. And it really goes in line with Isaiah's prophecy in the ninth chapter. This is Isaiah 7. In Isaiah chapter 9 it says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and His name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So, once again, here's the prediction. A baby's going to be born who happens also to be God in human flesh. You might say when Jesus walked the earth, many times He was God incognito. He left the glories of heaven, surrounded by the praise of the angels, and came here. That is the ultimate culture shock. If you ever travel to Thailand or India or even Indian reservations in our own country, if you stay there for a length of time, you'll say, wow, it was shocking. I got culture shock because I'm so used to American lifestyle and California lifestyle is a whole nother level. To go to some of these countries and live there is culture shock. Imagine what it's like to leave heaven and know nothing else than heaven and come here and be born in these circumstances. There's a great story of many years ago from the Middle East about a man by the name of Shah Abbas who was a king. And Shah Abbas liked to disguise himself in common clothes and walk amongst the people and hear what the people thought of him as a king. And one day he decided he would dress as a peasant and go to the lowest level of his palace to the guy who tended the furnace in the palace. And he posed as a peasant, brought lunch. They shared lunch together, struck up a conversation. He visited him several days in a row till a tender friendship struck up between them. And one day, at the appropriate time, the king revealed himself and said to the other peasant, the real peasant, I am your king. I'll give you whatever you want. What would you like? The peasant said, nothing at all. 
The Shah said, you don't understand. I have the ability to give you whatever you want. Status, power, authority. I'll give you a city if you'd like it. Once again, the fire tender replied and said, yes, my lord, I do understand, but what you have done to leave your glorious surroundings, to sit with me in this dark place, to partake of my coarse fare and care if my heart is glad or sorry. On others you may bestow great riches, but on me, to me, you have given yourself. God gave Himself. God became man. Emmanuel, God with us. So, this is a unique one. Unique in His birth. His birth of a virgin. His birth predicted. His birth with all these unusual events. And He's also unique because of His person. He pre-existed. He was God. He is God. And He became man during His incarnation. Now look at the 21st verse. This brings us to the third and final take on this. It's because of His unique purpose. Verse 21. And she will bring forth a son. This is the angel talking to Joe. So, I call him Joe. We know him so well by now. And you shall call his name Yeshua. That's the Hebrew Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. How is he going to do that? That's his purpose in life. How is he going to do it? Death. Death. You cannot look at a manger as a Christian and not understand that that baby was born with a singular purpose in life and that wasn't to stay a baby, but to grow up and die. Now you think about that. Because it so defies parental instincts. You don't plan that for your child. What, what plans did you ever have for your children except to live, to become something great, maybe an engineer or a doctor or a missionary? Those are your plans. But the idea that this father planned the incarnation of his son with one purpose, and that is death. It defies the imagination and the understanding of any parent. But it's true. Paul said to the Roman church, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. He wrote then to the Philippians and he said that Jesus Christ became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Now, in, in all of these things, from the angel appearing to Mary to uh, going in and dedicating Jesus on the eighth day and having Simeon in the temple saying to Mary, a sword is going to pierce your own heart with this child. And Mary pondered all of these things in her heart. What do these things mean? Mary had to come to grips with the idea that this little baby is salvation. God. You might say, Mary had a little lamb. The Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist would say. But understand this, folks. As wonderful as Christmas is, there was no salvation in the birth of Jesus Christ. There was no salvation in the perfect life of Jesus Christ. There was no salvation in all of the wonderful words of instruction that He gave. There was and is life in Jesus Christ and salvation in the death that He gave on Calvary in shedding His blood for our sins. Which, 
begs the question, what kind of father would send his son with the purpose of death? One who so loved the world that he would give his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's the kind of God, the kind of Father who loved the world that He created enough to redeem it. And if it meant the death of His Son, then so be it, because all of them, through His death and resurrection, would come to know Him. You might say then, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. That is His purpose. Unique in His birth, unique in His person, unique in His purpose. Then, just for a second, scoot over to Matthew chapter 2, because we already hinted at this, but there were some unusual visitors that came to his birth from the east with some unusual gifts. It says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, that wise men from the east came. Who were they? Now, we love to sing, we three kings. The Bible doesn't say that there were three. They're probably more than that. It doesn't say they were kings. They were not kings. They were wise men from the east. The Greek word magoi. We get the term magi. And we first read of them back in Babylon in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. They were the wise men of Babylon. They were of the highest legislative branch of government. And they made the laws of the Medes and the Persians. Somebody will say, well... The term magic comes from the word magi. You're right. And some will point out that they were superstitious stargazers, perhaps. But the term magistrate also comes from the word magi. Our legal system has judges, magistrates. And keep in mind, back in Babylon, there was a guy who was in charge of all of them named Daniel, who came up with incredible prophecies of the coming of Messiah and probably it was his influence over the Magi that put into their minds and they passed it down from generation to generation. The king of kings is going to be born to the Jews. That's why they came to Jerusalem, the capital, and said, where is he who is to be born king of the Jews? Now, look down in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. You know why he was so troubled? Because the Magi were lawmakers, the Magi were kingmakers. The Magi represented the Babylonians who one time had control over the whole world. This bothered him. But you know the story. They found Jesus in Bethlehem and they brought him three gifts. What were they? Gold. That makes sense, doesn't it? Gold is the metal for kings. It's the king of metals. It was said, if you ever approach a king in ancient times, make sure that part of your gift has gold in it. And Jesus was the king of kings. It's perfectly predicted. They gave him frankincense. That fits. That makes sense. That was the fragrance used by the priests when they would offer the meal offering in Jerusalem. But that third gift baffles us a little bit. Myrrh. Myrrh was indeed a fragrance from the east but it was used in the East for embalming people. When Jesus died, remember, they put a hundred pounds of spice and aloes mixed with myrrh. Now, imagine being Mary. If you've ever given a gift at Christmas, you know it's the gift that bombs. It just doesn't work. 
Here's gold. Oh, I'm honored. Here's frankincense. Oh, here's embalming fluid. What's that about? It's actually perfectly predictive of His purpose. This child, this king, this priest came to die. By the way, myrrh is a fragrance that only gives off its fragrance when it's crushed. And what did Isaiah the prophet say? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Perfectly fitting. So the unique birth of this unique person with that unique purpose was seen at his birth and all throughout his life. Who are the people that came around Jesus? The Bible says common people. The common people heard him gladly. But he said, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. And so that five-time divorcee in Samaria was attracted to Jesus and brought into the fold. That forgotten layman at the pool of Bethesda was sought by Jesus and brought into the fold. That woman caught in adultery, Jesus forgave. 